0: North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. Each week on this show, We'll talk with the people who know the most about north korea
1: good morning to everyone in dc good evening to everyone in korea good day to everyone else around the world welcome to the 43rd installment of the csis capital cable i'm mark libert your host and moderator this week on the capital cable the south korean presidential election And we've had the closest election in South Korean history, and in 12 hours, we had all the votes counted, the defeated candidate conceded, and we are on to an orderly transition of power. And I want to say that out front, another remarkable achievement for a young democracy of the Republic of Korea. So with that, we have four very special guests, uh, journalists and or public opinion experts, no strangers to CSIS, with us here to unpack, parse, analyze, otherwise uh, pontificate on the, this uh, remarkable election here in South Korea. First up, let me go through the bios. Uh, in Sun Kang, Deputy Managing Editor for Digital Content and Diplomacy at The Chosen Ilbo. Uh, folks in Washington know her well from her stint as Washington Bureau Chief from 16 to 20. She's the author of several books, Desert Flowers, Leadership Code, and Harvard Style. She received a BA and MA from Seoul National University. And because Seoul National University isn't hard enough, she went back for a second MA at Harvard University. Welcome to the show Miss Kang We have ji Kim, Dr. Kim. I'm going to use her fancy title once, even though she prefers ji She's a senior research fellow at the Institute of Diplomacy and Education. She is also a popular and highly acclaimed political analyst specializing in election and public opinion analysis. She was most recently the host of ji Kim's evening show on TBS-FM. Prior to TBS-FM, Dr. Kim hosted NBC's 100-Minute Debate, the most respected political debate program in Korea. She received her BA from Yonsei, MPP from the University of California, Berkeley, and PhD in political science from MIT. She's also a big fan of the Dusan Bears. Uh, I oh, believe yeah. as well. Yes, <laughs> excellent. All right, welcome to the show, Dr. Kim Ji-un. right. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Great, thanks for staying up with us. All right, Michelle Ihee Lee is Washington Post bureau chief covering Japan and the Koreas. She is based in Tokyo. Previously, she covered money and influence in politics and voting access on the national political enterprise and accountability team, and was a reporter for the Post Fact Checker. She's also president of the Asian American Journalists Association. She received a BA in International Studies and English from Emory University, my sister's alma mater. And last episode, she said she would have come to my wedding to help fill the disparity in guests between my side and my wife's side. I still remember that. Thank you. Robin's side filmed to the brim. I'm filling mine with, you know, Basset hounds anyway. So uh, thanks, Michelle, for staying up late with us and uh, coming to us from Seoul as well. All right. Gordon Lubold. White House, and national security reporter at The Wall Street Journal, where he's been since 2015. Previously, senior military writer for Defense One and author of The Debrief, great newsletter. Uh, Gordon was also uh, at Foreign Policy Magazine, USIP, Politico, the Christian Science Monitor, Army Times, uh, really remarkable career in journalism. Mr. Lubold has a BA in English literature from the College of Wooster. And as I told him before the show, he's a CrossFit machine. We all know that. Everybody in the Pentagon knows that about Gordon. Uh, Um, Last but not least, let's come to our regulars. Dr. Sumi Terry, who I believe is in New York, uh, Wilson Center, prior to that, she was senior fellow at CSIS, former CIA, former NSC, Columbia University. Welcome back, Dr. Terry.
2: Thank you. Great to be here this morning among friends. Can't wait to hear their insights.
1: Excellent. All right. Uh, you're on the hook, too, Sue. You can't just, you know, pass okay, this sure, off. Sure. All right. Excellent. <laughs> All right. And last but certainly not least, Dr. Victor Cha, Vice Dean, Professor at Georgetown, former Bush NSC. He runs the career chair at CSIS. He owns the place. Welcome back, Victor. Thanks, Mark. This is going to be a great discussion. Very, very exciting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to digging in here. Okay, let's get into it, as they say. Question for Ms. Kong. Uh, Ms. Kong, we've seen some media reports. We kind of know what happened, but walk us through uh, what did happen in the uh, run up. Uh, to the election. There was a third-party candidate who merged with the now victorious candidate. There were um, some early voting issues with the National Election Commission. Uh, Just give us the lay of the land on the the preceding week uh, leading up to the election. And what happened? Your analysis, your take. The floor is yours, Ms. Kong.
3: Before that, I me mean, thank you for inviting me this timely, interesting and important session. I mean, this is so great to see you all in Seoul and in D.C. and in New York. Well, this is one of the most dramatic, you know, Korean presidential election ever, I think. I mean, there's always a drama in, in Korean politics, but just this is a little bit different. I mean, the main opposition candidate, Yoon Song-yeol, was elected uh, next president on Thursday. After an unbelievably close race, there were two notable events. As you know, Mark mentioned the one is uh, the merger of Yun Suk-yeol and uh, An cheol Yun suk is the first runner, and uh, An cheol is the third third runner. And so, which means you know, An dropped out. An just dropped his candidacy and declared support for Yun Suk-yeol. And. Uh, we expect it could be a quite an impact because we have been waiting for An Su to say that for kind of two months people say that he's going to do that in early february which is korean uh, lunar new-, new year's day or so everyone says that maybe next week or next week and then finally he decided that the day before the early voting and so actually, it's, it's still, it's very controversial how how much it affects the result of the election. And um, the second, actually, the early voting issues, I mean, early voting, have, we have early voting for two days before the election, which showed the highest turnout rate in history, which is about 36.69% or so. I mean, during the early voting days, there were, were separated places and limited hours for people who tested positive for COVID-19. I mean, to our surprise, that process was so poorly managed and there was no official ballot box. So the, the ballot was put in the plastic bags or, you know, paper box or kind of plastic basket, which was so weird, we, we thought, is it some like a like a 100 years ago or it's some it's, it, 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 it's it's we are in some other countries like a third world countries. So that makes people just doubt that is my boat safe and safely and fairly managed to and finally turned out a boat for this election. We are not really sure. So finally, it just became such a big, big controversy that. The National Election Commission just conveyed apology that they did some some malmanagement, but they were doing that in I mean, according to the laws and the regulations. There's no chances of foul play, but uh, still, people are very suspicious of the process. So I guess there should be a follow-up investigations to get to know what's really really happening behind this. And the I guess exit poll is one of the most dramatic moment. I guess, I mean, we didn't expect actually uh, before uh, the election, the the day a week before the election, according to the uh, People Power Party, the conservative party, actually they did some polls, but it, it should not be announced because there was a one blind week before the election, but, so we. I asked privately to the politicians in that party, and they, one of the most optimistic number is like a 11% point to point win. And the, some modest one is a seven to eight point. And the most, you know, someone who was in charge of the process just told me that at least like a f- 5% point gap. So we were so sure of that result. And then when we saw the exit poll, the the main exit poll is that Yun seok was ahead of Lee Jae-myung by zero point six percent point, and the other exit poll said Lee is zero point seven point ahead, which is it's about the same. So that reminded me of that nightmare of the U.S. presidential election in two thousand. So should I repeat that process again? So I thought it was what is going to happen so we were so worried about that process but unbelievably finally i guess it took 9 hours to just figure out who is going who who won won the election so yun sangil had 48.56% of the vote and jae myung took 47.83% the gap is about 0.7% which is smallest ever in Korean history. So this election is the closest ever. Well, the meaning underlined this this number and this research is that, I mean, divisions along regional, gender, and um, generational lines. So, Yun seong I mean, we'll have this, this so, I mean, civilly divided country. And the other is that Yun seong also have Democratic Party-controlled the National Assembly, which has 172 seats out of 300, which means you can do virtu- you can pass virtually all the bills that you want to pass, I mean, except the constitutional amendment or uh, impeachment. I mean, so ahead of California, there will be a very tough politics. He understand the situation very well. So that's why he emphasized the unity and cooperation and beyond any differences you have. So this is the situation
1: so far. Outstanding. Thanks for getting us out of the block so well, Ms. Kong. Lots to unpack there. I'm gonna come to uh, Michelle Lee. Uh, Michelle, your take on the election in Korea. Your analysis, please. The floor is yours.
4: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Um, I wanted to share three quick observations, especially based on talking to a lot of voters during early voting, as well as on election day yesterday. First, um, as uh san mentioned, the turnout, I mean, especially with COVID at record levels yesterday. That was remarkable. In the final two weeks or so, I was looking at polling on likely voters just to try to get a sense what it could look like. It seemed difficult to reach the 77% turnout in 2017, which was a 20-year record um, after the impeachment, um, especially given how unliked the candidates were. Um, it wasn't clear how many people would actually come out to vote. And then during uh, early voting, we saw record numbers of people show up. And we thought, well, you know, it's kind of understandable people want to avoid COVID on election day. And for context, in 2020, when U.S. voters turned out at the highest level in a century, that was 66 percent turnout. So that's quite remarkable in Korea. Also, the voting was just so easy and watching the orderly lines moving quickly and being able to look up your polling place on Naver map. I mean, having just covered the 2020 U.S. presidential elections, I was like, Mind-blowing. Um, so I was excited to see the galvanized electorate, um, despite or maybe because the candidates were so unliked. And we talked to a lot of voters who said they came out because they knew it was going to be close and also because they really wanted to vote against the other guy. The second is on, of course, the issues, you know, economy, housing prices, we knew that was on top of people's minds. I talked to several parents of young children yesterday who were fed up with housing prices. They were feeling very insecure. And they felt like, well, they told me that they were told that things would get better, but things got worse. And I was actually, I spent some time in Songnam, which is Ejaemyeong territory, and even parents there were telling me that, which I thought was very reflective of how how much to the core this was affecting the electorate and also made me wonder about the legacy of the Democratic Party rule over the past five years. And lastly, in terms of the results, I mean, it was excruciating to stay up until 5 a.m. to be able to file my story, but a 0.8%, 0.6 percentage point margin is even closer than we thought and way closer than, you know, the People Power Party internally estimated. And that's even with the ancho Su merger. So to me, that uh, it did show me that the Lee camp closed quite a bit of ground in the final days, which makes sense why he was making that final huge push to get that young female swing vote, um, who did turn out quite a bit for him. And, you know, less than a 1% margin of victory is like really not a mandate. And it, it makes me think that it's going to be a big challenge for you to govern, not only because he's never done it before, you know, he's just never been a politician, but also half the country voted for the other guy. And a lot of people who voted for him did so because they disliked the other guy even more. So I will be interested to see how he steps up.
1: Great insights, great analysis. Let me come back one follow up before I come to Dr. Kim. The question that stands out to me, well, there's multiple, but one that stands out to me is you have this polling data from the conservatives that show a pretty substantial gap going in. But then you talked a lot about Governor Lee uh, and his camp closing that gap through um, efforts and turnout. Why do you think that gap did close, Michelle? And why do you think it was such a close race in the end, given some of the internal polling that was extant just a week before?
4: I think maybe the next speaker might be more uh, positioned to be able to answer that. I do think that the I'm final making a
1: transition here. To... I'm, I'm hosting. I'm oh, making thank a trans you. Good yeah. job. No, <laughs> so
4: I, I do think that that final huge emphasis on getting that female vote did um, help him quite a bit. You saw him make a huge turn just in the past week trying to get women. He was appearing at rally after rally with women, um, like taking lots of photos, uh, showing this off. And I, I, I did think that that um, helped
1: so we have set up our polling expert dr kim dr kim come in here please um your thoughts on this basket of issue we've seen you know exit poll gap uh, close turnout regional differences we've had a lot of interesting threads on which to unpack i'm just going to turn it over to you and please uh, the floor is yours we're really keen and eager to hear your insights
5: well first on um the, the margin is such a, such a narrow margin. I do not have an answer for that. Well, I've been in the polling um, for more than 10 years when I was working in the AsAN and everything. And I also did two times the presidential election pollings. and um, let me tell you this. when you do the polls, particularly the presidential election, poll numbers are quite good. It is not the national assembly election so it's nationwide so polling results are relatively pretty good and quite correct and as um miss kong mentioned what i received the polling result even the blackout period it was around like on average five percent gap of i mean the mr yoon the president-elect was ahead of mr lee by you know, on average, like 5% point each, uh, percentage point. Well, the narrowest margin was like, in you know, two percentage point or something like that. So this, you know, active poll, like 0.6 you percentage know, point is really, really shocking. So I don't know where that, you know, the narrowing the gap can come from. And uh, Michelle just mentioned that maybe the, the women, the young female voters, um, I'm not, I don't know. I mean, I'm not really sure because young female voters at this actually poll shows that almost 60% of young females, like in their 20, uh, 20s, they went for Mr. Lee and then like 30% went for um, uh, Mr. Yoon. Uh, that is about actually the what um, President Park Geun-Ai earned. Um, among the young voters in 2012, I mean, she garnered like you know, 36% from the young males you know, in their 20s At back then, like in 10 years ago. And then she also garnered like almost a 30% of the vote share from the, those females in their 20s and 10 years ago. So it seems like you know, the conservatives got back in a grip. I mean, not the grip, but the, where they used to be and you can actually notice that the young male voters their support for conservative party went up quite um, large and then throughout the polling period uh, mr lee he couldn't really get a lot of support from the those in the 20s the young female voters then so it was like you know 20 or 30 percent i mean neither of those big party candidates was quite popular or, or friend you know favored by um, the young female voters. So all of a sudden, the number went up the, uh, more than the double. It was quite surprising, actually. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it's right. I mean, those two, maybe young female voters chose the less of the two evils. So that may be true. So anyway, it was quite surprising. And another point um, that I thought it was uh, kind of kind of shocking was the Gyeonggi Province um, throughout all the poll numbers and the Gyeonggi as whole uh, was i mean it was favored by uh yun seongyeol i mean the seoul was definitely for yun seongyeol and Gyeonggi is a province that uh, mr lee is a governor and it actually the Gyeonggi, the, the i think the the electors the number of the electors is much larger than any other uh, the province in korea It's more than seoul i think and and even in Gyeonggi, the yun seongyeol was leading in the polls but it, um, the the result actually shows the, the opposite that was quite uh, probably the, the reason why Yung Sung Yo was really strong in the polls, but not really the, in the, the outcome, the actual outcome. So well, I'm working on my access spreadsheet. So I probably didn't figure out where actually Yoon Sung yeol lost in um, some votes and Mr. Lee gained and the support more.
1: Let me pull out one thread. So you've given some different constituencies and changes in those patterns from previous elections that may have tipped the balance to Mr. Yoon. What about the issues? What were the the key issues that drove voters in this uh, election, uh, Dr. Kim? Change
5: the regime, change the, the government. That was a big one present moon is enjoying really high approval ratings Uh, recently is going up actually I don't really know why because this is basically the the, the guy who is going to uh, go out pretty soon Um, but you also have to remember that uh, like probably like two or three years it started like two or three years ago when disapproval rating was higher than approval rating and even in the disapproval, disapproval ratings, uh, those who really, really dislike the candidate, uh, di- I'm sorry, dislike the president really high. So, for example, like uh, 55% of people say that I don't like the uh, president uh, moon, I do not support the president moon's job. And then among them, like 45% was really, really do not like his job as a president. So that is a driving force for those who go against Mr. Lee and the support of Moon. And on the other hand, you know, those who support the moon was also very strongly support moon was around like 20% or so. So the, the primary issue is, do we have to change the government or not? So, and then was always consistently higher for those who wanted to change the government and then economy maybe and the housing price particularly for those who are living in the metropolitan solar area I would say so
1: so notably absent to as uh, foreign policy wonks foreign policy did not feature largely in this election just a uh, final <laughs> final uh, final make a, make a final thought there
5: well foreign policy is never an issue in any other election in <laughs> around the world I would say not really in Korea
1: gotcha okay great great analysis dr Kim. Gordon, uh, Mr. Lubold, over to you. View from Washington. I understand if I, if I read the press correctly, there was, a, there was an early phone call between President Biden and the, uh, the election winner in uh, Korea, I believe. Um, view from Washington on this election.
6: Yeah, there was, uh, you know, if, when the White House can get its kind of head out of Ukraine long enough to congratulate a new winner as it President Biden did with June, um, you know, I think there's generally a positive uh, reaction for once in the last several years. I think the U.S. now feels like it has a maybe a reliable partner. Um, if if he's hawk, you know, Biden administration certainly wouldn't describe itself as hawkish, but it kind of needs hawkish allies in some places in this particular region. You know, as you know, Mark, like the uh, and everybody else on the panel, like uh, administration is struggling to kind of stay focused on this region but uh the more it has allies that are kind of more at the ready to kind of help on climate change supply chain uh, issues and helping to kind of apply obviously more pressure uh to the north but also in the region uh to confront china like all the better but it, it really is struggling to kind of figure out how to deal with the region which it was poised to focus on you know uh the national defense strategy which there's a new one coming out and uh, a, a companion document from the white house called national security strategy um that is underway right now but they've had to suspend some of the work on this because they needed to uh account for ukraine this is you know on some level that's a kind of a bureaucratic issue but. They are just trying to figure out how they can focus on the region and and get um uh and 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 settle ukraine see to what extent russia is a is a longer term concern for them so you know we'll see uh what kind of progress can be made uh in terms of the north uh we'll see what they can do together to work to kind of confront china in a better more kind of cohesive uh fashion and you know presumably you know, think uh, other panelists would have uh, deeper insight into how the struggles between South Korea and Japan could maybe start to become slightly more resolved, uh, given given the new leadership there.
1: Absolutely. Well, I want to pick up on on all of those. But really quickly, before we shift over to Victor, uh, question for you is, can you just give us our viewers, especially those in Korea, a sense of just how involved this White House is in Ukraine, Russia, how much energy and time it is sucking out of the policymaking process, right? I, and I say this from experience because I remember the end of Iraq, Afghanistan and the Obama years and these, these types of conflicts can be all consuming.
6: If reporters covering uh, uh, these buildings and these bureaucracies and these people, is any reflection like it's pretty hard to get their heads around. Clearly the White House would say, Pentagon would say, they can walk and chew gum and they can. You, mark you know uh, that probably better than anybody but uh you know this is a a huge crisis as it's obvious yeah. to anybody watching and so i think it's you know uh, for example uh secretary lloyd austin has canceled now two trips uh to the region um because he just uh one was for COVID, i think and one uh clearly because of ukraine just as a kind of a symbol of like how hard it is to stay focused i think. You know, we'll see how this thing uh, plays out, but it, it, it is hard to get anybody's attention on anything other than Ukraine right now, because it's just, uh, it's an hourly crisis uh, that continues to, to,
1: to unfold. Gotcha, thanks, Gordon. Um, I, for one, do have difficulty walking and chewing gum, but that's usually when I'm walking Grigsby, a Basset Hound. It's kind of a multivariate equation that I struggle with and I'm just not that coordinated. But uh, let's go to Sue and Victor. We're gonna pivot to policy implications here. Gordon set, it, set this up well. Sue, um, you heard Gordon outline some of the agenda items, right, for the U.S. ROK Alliance, China, Japan, North Korea, you, and that supply chain trade. There's a big, robust agenda here uh, on uh, how the, Washington and Seoul are going to work together. One, your thoughts on policy, and then two, any of the uh, previous interventions. Please, Sue, the floor is yours, and thanks for being so patient here.
2: Sure. let me. Reverse it and just kind of talk about, comment on what every what I heard so far, and then talk about the policy implication. Um, so what struck me based on this conversation is just this election, how close and divisive, like partisan divide, generational divide, divisional among the gender lines. And um, you know, Dr. Kim talked about some 60% of women still voted for Lee Jae-myung. Well, he could have won this. I mean, if he, could, if he just merged with a third party candidate, for example, um, Shin sang Um, yeah. though, you know, women voted for him, her, right? So if they merged and he could have very, very much won this. So there is no mandate for yun. And I think this is a very important point that there is this division, there's this polarization of society. That will pose a challenge for the yun in terms of policymaking that you are just talking about. Um, ruling party has a majority in parliament. Public opinion is... Ex- very divided. Um, again, all the divergent views. You know, and then on the policy issues you're talking about, it's over bread and butter issues, like whether to prioritize welfare uh, over economic growth, uh, over redist- redistribution, over um, you know, should we ask the wealthy to pay more tax or not, uh, over foreign policy. I know foreign policy was a lesser factor on this election, but, but there is a growing antipathy towards China public you know so there is it's 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 a, it's a there's a division is what I'm trying to say both public in the side and there's a partisan division and I think that's gonna really weaken union's ability to govern so I know that Washington is you know, I think Yun said all the right things from in terms of alliance issues, being tougher on China, tougher on North Korea and, you know, possibly joining Quad, possibly, you know, redeploying that even if it's going to anger Beijing. He said all the right things. But the question here, here is, um, can he really um, implement this? So that would be something that we need to watch out for. I also want to say I, I'm i kind of proud for women in their 20s and 30s who did come out. I did think, you know, even the. I think the one thing is clear that they did send a message that women's rights issues is something that South Korean politicians can't ignore, right? Because the undeniable reality actually is that even the women made progress in the last several decades in South Korea, come on, they lag behind all the developed economies in terms of uh, gap between men and women's and political participation and you know income level and all that. So I, do, I, I, I sort of want to sort of uh, make that point. I don't know if we are going to later have a chance to talk about this policy stuff more in detail because I do want to touch on. I want to give Victor, maybe he can talk about it, but I do want to come back to some North Korea peace because I don't think we talked about North Korea peace since Russia's invasion of Ukraine and in light of this election result.
1: Before I get fired from my moderating job and you take over, uh, which is usually uh, a weekly, a biweekly affair. I'm going to go, Victor, back to you. And then we'll have about 10 minutes left as kind of a free fall, a free for all on policy issues. So Victor, Sue, and then uh, potpourri round. All right, let's go. Victor, over to you.
7: Okay. so just uh, actually a couple of quick points and a question. So first, it's pretty clear when you look at the numbers in terms of the swing, there, there is clearly a swing vote demographic in Korea now that has been fully established by this election, right? Basically, the 18 to 29-year-old group, you know, 50-50, right, between, between Lee and Yun. That's one. The second is, I'm actually, you know, I mean, this was a win for Yun and the conservatives, but I think if you're a, a progressive in Korea and you feel like you've lost, I don't know if you've really lost. because. You know, what's the number one question that everybody asks in a presidential election? It, it is, do you feel like you're better off today than you were five years ago? Right. And I think the answer in Korea for most voters was is no. Right. That housing prices are higher. Right. Unemployment situation is getting worse. Right. All, all of these COVID, all these sorts of things. So they're definitely not better off than they were five years ago. And yet, in spite of that, they came with a razor's edge of winning. Right. And so. Even if you're like progressives in Korea right now, I would not feel bad about this election because you couldn't have more, more um, sort of wins against you and you still nearly, nearly won this thing. And the third point is, has this election really united the conservatives in Korea? You know, there are deep divisions as we all know between the conservative groups. And so is this, has this thing really united them going forward? So the question I have, that one was The question I have for Gian is, If you look at the regional breakdown of the numbers, you know, Honan province went, you know, fully went to Lee, like 60 to 70 points. But if you look at Kyeongsang, you know, Kyeongsang province and Tegu, the gaps were not as wide. And I don't know if that was something we expected or that was the gaps are narrower than we expected. And that explains why Lee Lee did better. I know you're still doing all of your analysis. But when I was looking at the numbers, that kind of struck me
1: as being being unusual. So let me leave it at that. Okay, quickly then, Sue. Before we come to you, we had a question for Insun, and then we're going to come back to June. Ms. Kong, floor is yours. Victor's question to you.
3: Yeah, I mean, the region-wise, you know that the Honam, that Chala province areas. I mean, the borders they they unite, you know, very strongly. But you compare them with the people in Gyeongsang, they are. I mean, in Gyeongsang area, it's not as strong as the Honam area, but. The issue here is that the Lee Jae-myung was born in Gyeongsang area, province, So he has his own just, you know, the origins in that area. So there's a, some kind of, I mean, the favor among in, in that area for the, the Lee Jae-myung. But, but I guess when you uh, talk about the region in this election, is it's about our area, metropolitan area, because usually uh, the minju the, the democratic party they couldn't win without seoul area but in this election they lost seoul area so that's why when you look at the big picture if without support of the Seoul, it's really hard for democratic party to win okay, so she- i guess Vision-wise,
1: that is the issue here. All right, excellent. ji your comments. Michelle, I'm going to come to you for a question before I go back to Sue as well, so get ready. I want you to comment on this, please. ji uh your answer to Victor's query. Well,
5: Hunam area, Chola, which means, um, it always favored the 민주 Party, the Democratic Party. And, you know, Yun Song-yeol got like 15, uh, the 13 and 12%, 11% of the votes uh, from the Honan region this election. I think it's not that bad, actually. I mean, it used to be the one-digit number for um, the conservative candidates before. So it is getting better uh, for the conservatives, but still a long way to go. And as Ms. Kang mentioned, that particularly the, just young, among the young nam it's so Busan, Ulsan, and Gyeongnam, and we already have two presidents, from this region and who belong to the, the Democratic Party. So these people living in here are used to have, you know, the, and a the vote for um, the, the, the Democratic Party candidates and the president candidate. So it is getting better. Um, they're getting better in there. And uh, to me, it was really surprising to that they lost Seoul, the Democratic Party. But I mean, you could sense in the last years that the by-election for the Seoul mayorship. It was the very, the landslide victory for Mr. Old, who's currently the Seoul mayor. And it wasn't that good for you in this time, uh, but he uh, did pretty good job in Seoul. And that's the, 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 actually the key, uh, the, the reason that he could win the presidency.
1: That was perfect, thank you. Uh, Michelle, to you, um, thoughts on this thread of issues here? Because you were on the ground, you covered this as well. We'd be remiss if we didn't recognize you here.
4: The other um, two speakers did a really great job breaking down the regions. I What I did want to talk about was a trilateral piece, if I can get into Please, that.
1: Please,
4: yes. yes. Um, you know, especially because I cover Japan, so as you know, I think about this a lot, and um, I'm just interested to see whether uh, the if relations can improve at all. I mean, I think all the pieces are now there, right? The pieces that I have been looking for the, uh, over the past, like, Seven months I've been in this job is how the LDP election shakes out and how this election shakes out. And I feel like all the it's all kind of primed now for some sort of improvements to happen. And, and we know that trilateral cooperation is a part of the Biden Indo-Pacific strategy. And I think the yoon win is as optimistic a scenario as we can get if we if the relationship is going to improve, especially with Prime Prime Minister Kishida. And I thought today it was a good sign that both um, President-elect Yoon and Prime Minister Kishida talked about finding ways to move forward and and moving rather than rehashing the past they both talked about that I thought that was a good sign Um, and especially in terms of countering China's rise I think the US has a huge um, interest in making sure that this relationship improves especially given how big of a market both South Korea and Japan are in terms of semiconductors as, as you guys know but um, like Sue said earlier, I think it's just it's going to be a huge unknown on whether any of these deliverables can happen because he's so he's an untested leader, untested you know, person who has not, just person has who has not governed before and also facing such a divided government trying to move on a, on a very uh, sensitive topic like Korea, Japan issues. I'm, you know, we'll, we'll see how it actually happens. But now the pieces are there. So I'm super interested in this.
5: As whole population is decreasing, as a matter of fact, and it's getting older because the housing prices are going up. And this is the, the area that hit by, uh, most by the tech, high taxation for the housing prices increase. And also, in the, the, those young people cannot really afford the housing in Seoul area. So they're going outside, like a Gyeonggi. So called like a new cities. So this is uh, the, uh, the, the new cities. Uh, they are, uh, this is the area that the young people like uh, for in their 30s and the 40s are living there, who is a really ardent supporter of the Mr. Lee. And that's probably one of the reasons why Seoul is getting more and more conservative. Once housing price, taxation, and is getting older.
1: Interesting insights there, Dr. Kim, and the only reason I let you interject because you're a Doosan fan, but, uh, you know, a Bears <laughs> fan. But anyway, um, the, um, uh, let me just come back to Michelle's point on trial. I'm going to take one minute of moderator's prerogative here and say uh, we've talked about this before on the Capitol Cable in terms of um, the pieces aligning. Right. Even even independent of the election outcome, you had Moon Jae-in. Uh, reaffirming the 2015 agreement. You had the court case, irrespective of how you feel on the merits on there, it was dismissed. That was a major issue between Seoul and Tokyo relations. You had both candidates essentially talking about improving ties with Tokyo. Um, And you have uh, Mr. Kishida, who is intimately familiar with the machinations of Seoul and the politics in Tokyo as well. So uh, and you had Deputy Assistant Secretary Lambert expressing optimism, uh, you know, a month, uh, six weeks ago, Prior to this, um, on improving relations. So, just a comment there on that. Um, and then the only other thing I'll say on the governance structure, at least in terms of US ROK alliance, one interesting thing I would say that augurs uh, for um, some uh, progress here is that Moon Jae in and President Biden, President Moon, President Biden, left a pretty robust agenda in that joint statement from which I think leaders right. can choose. And there's some bipartisan, if you will, at least in Seoul a cover uh, to really effectuate that agenda that is set out. And that's that's a meaty, big, broad, sprawling agenda. OK, enough from me. I'm going to come back to Sue. Sue, uh, it took us a while to get back to, to you. We've got a couple minutes left. Floor is yours on North Korea post uh, Russia, Ukraine.
2: So pieces are there on US Rock Japan. That's good. US Rock Alliance, good. North Korea, not good um, because <laughs> Okay, so um, North Korea, you know, on multiple fronts, right, since just Russia's invasion of Ukraine, not setting a good precedent in terms of Kim Jong-un's calculation about his own nuclear program. This crisis only reinforces his thinking that, hey, states will give up, you know, that give up nuclear weapons, leaders will give up nuclear weapons, get overthrown, get killed, and so on. Iraq, Libya, Ukraine, watching this crisis, Kim Jong-un can only calculate that, hey, if Ukraine kept that nuclear weapons, Maybe Russia will not be attacking it right now. They're going to hold on to it anyway, but just reinforces the thinking. Secondly, Biden administration, the world completely distracted. Literally, there's no reason right now for North Korea to not take advantage of this um, and launch more provocations, which they were going to do anyway, Um, even an ICBM or nuke test. Think about it right now. He has Kim Jong-un has wide open pathway for more testing campaign uh, without consequences from UN, United Nations, right? Not that it stopped them, stopped it before, but still, China and Russia are already proposing by December, 2020 to weaken sanctions on North Korea. So, okay. you know, just, re, and I wanna remind the, everybody out there that, hey, you know, North Korea conducted a third nuclear test just weeks before Park, Park inauguration. Okay. So I think it's safe to say that, you know, things are not looking good on North Korea front, um, while there are some, you know, hopefully there's movement on the trilateral relations and bilateral relations with Japan and and alliance issues like we talked about.
1: All right, excellent, Sue, we are almost out of time. I'm gonna go Gordon, and then final word to Victor. Uh, Gordon, thoughts on any of this?
6: I would just say this, that, uh, you know, this is a good time to mess with Washington, uh, you know, to to her point. Um, And, you know, I think they, the way I was depending on everybody is kind of girding for more uh, adversaries to, to play with them. The only thing I would just say, and this is not a fresh insight, but you know, uh, as uh, we look to maybe whatever happens with the quad and, and potential uh, membership down the line of Seoul, the US, uh, the US I think is treading a little bit carefully here. Again, uh, not a fresh insight, but China may be the one country that can help put an end to the current crisis in Europe. Um, uh, by leaning on on, on Mr. Putin, um, and there's a lot there to unpack, which you could do at different times, but um, I just wonder to what degree the uh, Biden administration is gonna kind of tread a little bit carefully as they t- try to navigate their way out of this crisis when it comes to China.
1: Interesting, really interesting insight. That was fresh, Gordon, that was interesting. All right, oh, good? Okay. Uh, Victor, <laughs> final word to you. Uh, so just a few quick points. The first is
7: on the whole issue of distraction, The administration, yes, it's absolutely true. I worked in a government that was engaged in two wars, and I can just tell you that you just don't get the sort of um, attention that you do to these sorts of issues. Second, there is now no excuse for uh, there not to be an improvement in Japan korea relations, right? As Michelle said, all the pieces are in place, and if they can't do it now, then, you know, we should all just go home. Um, Third, North Korea, like Sue said, it's gonna be bad. Right. They're already geared to put more pressure on and it's coming, right? We just know it's coming. You, you know, we've actually been looking very closely at the, at the nuclear test site and there is activity there now. They're, they're doing stuff at the test site. It, they still need to do a lot more to get the thing back up and running. But yes, I'm worried about that as well.
1: All right, we'll leave it That's there. It. Jam-packed episode. We didn't even get to trade and economics, right? Which I think is a whole other interesting piece. Uh, but jam-packed North Korea, China, domestic, you name it, Washington, Ukraine, Russia. I mean, unbelievable analysis by the best journalists and public opinion uh, pollsters in the business. Thanks for staying up late, those of you in Seoul. Uh, Gordon, thanks for joining us from Washington. Sue, Victor, as always, fantastic insights, this time both in New York. One day we'll all get this together and we'll all be in person here in Washington. But really, really appreciate the insights. This is a fantastic episode on an unbelievably timely issue. Thanks again. I would be remiss. April 2nd, KBO right around the corner. Uh, we're very counter. <laughs> down to the the uh, kickoff of the kbo season so thanks again everybody see you in two weeks uh chris del corso united states embassy charge d'Affaires, fair will be joining us at from cs at the, on the capitol cable see you
0: in two weeks thanks everybody if you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state email us at impossible state at csis.org If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro-website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there, too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.